0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The Jewish community has recently completed its observance and celebration of the biblically commanded holidays of the fall. The Torah commands us regarding Rosh Hashanah, one of the New Years in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Sukkot, the Festival of Thanksgiving, of which the building of portable booths and the shaking and blessing of the Lulav and Etrog are uh, primary, And the fourth biblically commanded uh, celebration and observance is a day entitled Shemini Atzeret, usually understood to be the eighth day of Sukkot. In addition, there is a rabbinically ordained holiday known as Simchat Torah. At the conclusion of Simchat Torah, which means the day of joy of Torah, the... Uh, Jewish community begins its yearly cycle through the Torah. Each week, we've been speaking about one of the Torah portions, and so this week, we focus on the first portion in the Torah, known as Bereshit, in the beginning. The portion constitutes Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 6-8. It constitutes, with the next Torah portion, the prehistory, those stories that take place before the introduction of Abraham as the first individual in the Torah with a covenantal relationship with Adonai. This week's Torah portion is, of course, highlighted by stories that you will certainly know. God creates the world in six days. And it is no surprise what the order is. On the first day, he makes darkness and light. On the second day, he forms the heavens, dividing the upper waters from the lower waters. On the third day, he sets the boundaries of land and sea and calls forth trees and greenery from the earth. On the fourth day, he fixes the position of the sun, moon, and stars as timekeepers and illuminators of the earth. Fish and birds and reptiles are created on the fifth day, and land animals and then human being is created on the sixth. God ceases work on the seventh day and blesses it as a day of rest. Following this, we have an unusual repetition of the story in a different form. God forms the human body from the dust of the earth and blows into the human being's nostrils a living soul, Ruach Elohim. Originally in Genesis 1 1, a man is a single person, but deciding that it is not good that man be alone according to the Torah, God takes aside from the man and forms it into what is called a woman. And marries them to each other. The man and woman now known as Adam and Eve are placed in the Garden of Eden. And commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge and of good and evil. An animal which we identify as a serpent persuades Eve to violate the command. And she shares the forbidden fruit with her husband. Because of this rejection of God's commandment. It is decreed that they will experience death. They will no longer be eternal. And they will return to the soil from which he is formed, uh, meaning that they will work the soil. Human being is banished from the garden. The Torah portion ends by telling us of the birth of Eve's children, Cain and Abel. And the famous story in which Cain quarrels with Abel and murders him. And according to the Torah, becomes a rootless wanderer. A third son, Seth, is born to Adam, and then, as the Torah begins to give us prehistorical genealogy, Seth, eighth-generation descendant Noah, is introduced to us as the only righteous person in a corrupt world. There is so much to discuss in this week's Torah portion, and to do so, I've invited Rabbi Mark Levin of uh, Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, Rabbi Levin is the founding rabbi of Congregation Beth Torah. He was ordained at the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati in Ohio in 1976. He received a Doctor of Hebrew Letters specializing in liturgy and is the author of a book about Jewish prayer. Uh, The book was published in 2016 and is titled Praying the Bible. Finding personal meaning in the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book, ending boredom and making each prayer experience and unique. Good morning and welcome to Rabbi Mark Levin, who is my guest. Uh, Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Good. As you know, we're going to be speaking about the uh, first parashah in the Torah known as Reshit, the essence of which is the creation story. And so I thought we'd begin our chat this morning with my asking you why you think Torah begins with a creation story and not uh, an introduction to Abraham and the covenantal relationship to the Jewish people.
1: You know, I think that there are a couple of very good reasons. Uh, one is, from a Jewish perspective, the uh, stories demonstrate and describe that God is the master of all history and of the entirety of the world, or one might say the entirety of the universe. That all creation is dependent upon God and that God creates through speech. So it becomes imperative that The creation stories begin the Bible to demonstrate the Earth's dependence and history's dependence upon God. Uh, From a general perspective, there's also the fact that we have here a prehistory, which explains uh, a lot of human phenomena, like what is murder, like what is the relationship between all human beings, Uh, like what is the relationship between humanity and God, and what does a covenant mean in, in that regard? So it, it seems that all these things are very necessary for the very beginning of this book, which, after all, sets what is the foundation of reality. What What is the world really about?
0: So in suggesting that the first chapter or the first two chapters which set the tone for creation— Um, You're suggesting that the uh, Torah comes not as a particularistic book, but as a universal story um, open to all um, with an understanding of this unique um, deity who's accessible to all regardless of their nation of origin.
1: Absolutely the case. And, you know, the other nations, of course, had also creation stories, but notable of Israel's creation stories, uh, and notable of the, of the Bible, is that God wants a relationship with humanity and has kind of an equal relationship, not uh, absolutely on par, but that God needs humanity as humanity needs God. and. If one studies the history of, of the Middle East and, and such things as creation stories, then you see that, for instance, in the Babylonian creation story, humanity is almost an afterthought. Humanity is basically the slave uh, of, the, of the gods and, and doesn't have particular importance. Whereas in Israel's story, humanity is absolutely critical uh, to the idea of creation. So uh, it explains some fundamental realities. Uh, In in a new book that's out by Ellen Davis called Opening Israel's Scriptures, it just came out in July, uh, published by Oxford, Um, uh, Professor Davis talks about the uh, creation stories as describing how humanity is commanded to conquer the earth, the Hebrew word being v'kishuah, and Israel is commanded to conquer the Holy Land, demonstrating that the whole earth is of importance to God, and humanity in general, but of particular importance, is Israel and the land of Israel. So, uh, in using this particular terminology, we see that that God cares about all of humanity, which is, after all, God's creation. And, of course, then, later on in the Noah story, you see also where God really wants to maintain, despite the sinful nature of humanity, God really wants to maintain the relationship.
0: So God maintains a relationship with all of humanity and offers the possibility of that relationship. But in some manner or form, the story tells us about a unique relationship with the Jewish people. Um, And as you've suggested from uh, Dr. Davis's book, um, the conquering of the land and the conquering of creation have a parallelism. Uh, One for all of the world, for all of uh, humanity, and one unique to the people of this special covenantal relationship established at Sinai. As you've talked about the creation story, of course, the um, apex of the creation story in uh, chapter one is the creation of uh, a human being. And I'm wondering how you understand this um, notion of the creation of a human being, which the text tells us male and female. He created them. Um, And as some of the readers know, there is a second. Uh, iteration of this creation story with a somewhat different twist so let's start with the first one how do you understand the meaning of this um, shall we say uh, non-binary individual
1: so it's very very interesting because we have in the text as it's currently written with chapters and verses which were Put in uh, rather late um, by a Christian scholar, uh, we, we have the pinnacle of creation at the end of the first chapter uh, is, uh, um, is humanity and human beings' dominance uh, over all of creation, and it says that uh, human beings are to keep and uh, to preserve and, uh, and to work the land. Uh, from a Jewish perspective and from a literary, literary perspective— you have the second chapter, verses 1 through 3, uh, which is the pinnacle of creation of Shabbat, the Sabbath, uh, which shows that the uh, original text uh, would emphasize the fact that the Sabbath is, is the is the top of creation, uh, and that God takes a, uh, a breather, so to speak. Uh, where, where, uh, Dr. Davis is really nice uh, terminology for the Hebrew Vayinabash, that God takes a breather, but creates a sacred time so that uh, humanity seems to be in charge in the Hebrew text of all of God's creation, but, but not, as some people might interpret it today, to exploit that creation, but to preserve the creation as God intends. So for those
0: who might be looking at their text at home, what Rabbi Levin is speaking about is that, um, as we have it today— Chapter 1 ends with verse uh, 31, uh, and then chapter 2 begins with the Shabbat. Um, And so it seems like the seal of creation is Shabbat. And then uh, chapter 2 continues, as we now have it both in the Hebrew and the English, with the text saying, uh, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So we have a new uh, story or a reworked story. Um, And that's what he seems to be referring to, that in one sense, the first creation story um, has... uh, the creation of human beings at the apex, but then is sealed with the creation of Shabbat. And lo and behold, after God takes a breather, um, then we have another story. And that second story doesn't get sealed with Shabbat. It goes in a different direction. And so, between you and Dr. Davis, what's your understanding of why the Torah felt the need for a continuing story?
1: Yes, so uh, Dr. Davis's part, as I understand it, of what's called the socio-historical school of Bible criticism, which takes into account, uh, in understanding the text, the social circumstances and the historical circumstances in which, the te- in which the text was composed. So, of course, you have a traditional Jewish interpretation that it's all of it divine and given on Sinai at one particular time in history. Uh, about 300 years ago or so, uh, the, in the Western world, we get a, a text-critical uh, interpretation It's the documentary hypothesis that there are different documents. And so people uh, were given in my schooling to the idea of well, let's look at the first story, and then there's a second creation story, let's look at that. But at the socio-historical school, and and what Dr. Davis would say, uh, is let's understand what the editor who put these stories together, what that person's or school's intention was in putting these stories together the way way they have. So yes, it, it seems to reflect two different traditions, but the way that it fits together is that in the first tradition you have that uh, God creates humanity, but Selim Elohim, uh, in the likeness of God. And then in the story of the Garden of Eden, uh, you you have that the uh, serpent says to Eve uh, that can you eat from any of, the, any of the trees? And the woman, Eve, says no, God forbade to us the eating of the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest we die. And... Uh, the serpent says, well, God knows that you're not going to die when you eat of that." So what is that saying? It's, it's saying that uh, humanity uh, has, uh, from an ideological perspective, humanity has the ability to discern ethics, to, d- to discern uh, what it means to be a human being in terms of being able, unlike the other animals as far as we know, to make ethical determinations about our lives. So
0: for our listeners, just let me focus their attention. Uh, In chapter 3, Rabbi Levin is speaking of, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God going back to the first creation story in which it's betselem elohim in the image of god and then it concludes that verse you will know good and evil like god god knows good and evil
1: exactly right exactly right so it's not just an ideological story of where do we get our moral knowledge from and what is the nature of being human in terms of morality but also what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Does God have hands? God have eyes? Well, no. We say that we are in the image of God in the sense that we make moral judgments. Now, Eve will say to the snake uh, that um, if she changes God's instruction and, and says, "Well, God said if you touch it, if you eat of it, or if you touch it uh, and it's desirous." Well, yes, God gave us all of that which is in the garden because it's desirous. Okay, but but. He doesn't say, if you if you touch it, uh, you will die. He says, if you will eat of it. So here, so here we have a human being who's shading the truth. Of course, none of us would do such a thing, but who's shading the truth in order to come out, uh, have the story come out the way she wants it to come out, which is to say she wants to eat the fruit. You know, so she, she's a human being who says, I desire this. And so we have this partnership with God in which we see, Yes, we are it's Shalem, Elohim, in the image of God, but guess what? We want to go our own way
0: sometimes. It's a fascinating insight that you offer the listener this morning. On one hand, Jewish tradition says that the book or books are uh, presented to Moses uh, on Mount Sinai written by God, as if God had... Uh, crafted each word in the text, and certainly uh, for over a a thousand years, that was the Jewish understanding of the text. It was the divine word. But then you point out that in the text itself, human beings are uh, presented as challenging the divine word, and in this particular case, massaging the divine word. So God knows what's good and evil, and human beings are given the choice about good and evil. And as you indicated, Eve changes the commandment to suggest it's not just eating it, it's also forbidden to touch it which God is, so therefore we have a book that tradition says God wrote. And if that's true, then the question is, so why did God put into the mouth of human beings this uh, notion of rejecting God's word? Is it simply because we have free will? Um, Or is there something deeper in our understanding of that partnership between God and human beings.
1: Yes, so it would appear that human beings uh, created in the divine, divine image uh, are to be uh, in, in uh, a contractual relationship, or better known as a covenantal relationship. And what does that mean? That means to carry out the will of God in God's creation on the earth. So when when humanity is commanded to conquer the earth, uh, or then Jews, Jews, the Jewish people are commanded to conquer the land of Israel, in order to do what? To carry out God's purpose. Well, all is humanity simply a series of automatons. And of course, the answer is no. Later on, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter eighteen, uh, God will go to Abraham uh, and and say, "Listen, I'm about to." to share with you that I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, of course, Abraham argues uh, with God and says, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Suppose there are righteous people. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? So there you have a human being with whom God is in a covenant relationship commanding of God, God's own standard of righteousness, which is here set up in the book of Genesis. And so human beings can actually say to God, well, listen, this is the way you were created in the world. You're bound by the same rules. I, I mean, it's outrageous. It's audacious. And yet, that is the relationship between human beings and God that we can say, listen, in a certain sense, we're on a par. And if you're going to have a contractual relationship, we're both bound by the contract.
0: So, in this relationship, we each have our responsibilities. Yeah. Um they're not equal responsibilities because the Torah clearly doesn't indicate that we are the same as God, and therefore it uses the terminology Betselam Elohim in the image of God. Uh one could translate it other ways to say perhaps we reflect certain qualities that are manifest in God, not like God. Um, personally, but that so we can discern what is good and evil, like God does. We can discern our responsibilities to other people, uh, just as God determines God's relationship to individuals and to communities. Uh, In this story of creation, um, God has this interesting interaction With Cain and Abel, um, in which um, we're told that um, there's the first episode of fratricide, uh, the killing of a brother, and God asks the question, what's happened here? If God is all knowing, why does He need to ask that? And then He says, and then He's asked back by Cain, um, "Am I my brother's keeper?" And what's the answer? Well, it fits yes, in. You, you are. You obviously
1: are your brother's keeper, right? We're That's responsible right. for other human human beings, and and so and, and and so here we have this covenantal relationship in which humanity. has the the willpower to to revolt against God, but there are consequences. One consequence in sin is, of course, uh, that things do not go well with us, but the other consequence, maybe graver, is that things do not go well with the planet, or things do not go well with the land of Israel. Uh, Things do not go well uh, with all of humanity when we revolt against God's will. Not that God's going to come down and strike us with a bolt of lightning, but... Uh, you will get such things as uh the the earth out of harmony in its with itself, uh which some would would say we can we can see that in climate change
0: so God creates um a world that moves from chaos to order, and in that orderliness, each of us has a role. God seems to understand god's role, but the story. Seems to suggest that humanity, whether it's the story of the Garden or the story of Cain and Abel, um, that humanity is wrestling with what its role is in this movement from chaos to order, in order not to return to chaos. That's kind of Uh,
1: very, very well put.
0: That's Very kind well, of an but... interesting take on the story. We haven't talked about, you know, whether the um, expression of what happens on each day is the essence of the story, as some traditions would understand, even within traditional Judaism, um, an emphasis would be on what happened on day one, what happened on day two, and so forth, uh, culminating with the beauty of Shabbat on day seven. Um, but you've suggested all along this morning that to really understand this chapter and a half, we need to look deeply within, um, the intentionality of the words and the intentionality of the, uh, author, the editor, um, the context of what the story tells us. Um, in effect, you said there are truths within the story, but not necessarily that the story is true with a capital T. Would that be a fair reflection of what you've um, offered to our listeners this morning?
1: Absolutely. And I would caution people, history as we, as we uh, understand history is a discipline of only a couple of hundred years. And uh, whether it's God that you think believe wrote the Bible or uh, human beings who you believe wrote the Bible or divinely inspired human beings who wrote the Bible, it is not our notion of a history that is reflected here in terms of individual events. But rather, it should be understood as a literary composition uh, consistent with the observations of its time, but also, I would say, an eternal book which demonstrates to us and describes to us what it means to be a human being in relationship to to God.
0: I'm going to have to unfortunately end our conversation. I want to thank Rabbi Mark Levin of uh, Overland Park, Kansas for joining us this morning. You can hear a podcast of our show on iTunes or on uh, the chri.ca website. We also have an email address, jff at chri.ca if you want to write a question that we can forward to Rabbi Levin or myself. Shalom and have a good morning.
1: Here yeah.